Welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. Episode 17, Escalating Tensions. Last week, we paused the narrative to introduce Alexander, the boy wonder, into the mix. Now, we return to the narrative and pick up with Philip, where we last left him. So where did we leave Philip? We left him basking in the triumph of ending the sacred war and finally at peace with Athens. The peace with Athens, known to us as the Peace of Philocrates, is named after the elder orator who led the nine other orators to Macedonia to begin the peace talks. The peace with Athens was tenuous at best, as when Philip asked for Athenian troops to aid him with the Phocians after they had signed the treaty, Demosthenes had rallied against the request and claimed that the troops would be held hostage. Still, for Macedonia, a tentative peace was better than open conflict, as once again, Philip's attentions gazed north once again. He had come to deal with Thracian and Illyrian concerns. Southern Greece was at peace once more, and Philip had no interest in making any aggressive moves in the south. As you've heard me say a gazillion times by now, our sources are a little muddled, and while we have some details, they're still a bit sparse. When Philip returned home in 346, he engaged in some reformist policies at the domestic level to ensure the maintenance of the kingdom. Then, in 345, Philip was back in the north, dealing with a few of the Illyrian tribes. The Illyrians had been cowed back at the beginning of Philip's reign, when he defeated the large force under Bardilus. The subsequent tribal politics had shifted over the years, and now, a few tribes began raiding Macedonian territory. They felt that they were strong enough to deal with Philip, and Philip would soon disabuse them of that particular notion. Philip decided to go for a mix between going Old Testament on them and diplomacy. For every diplomatic conversation he had, it was underscored with Philip storming settlements, looting profusely, taking gold, silver, livestock, and slaves. Philip was not above in engaging in underhanded tactics, with an anecdotal story coming to us, claiming that Philip went to meet with a group of enemies for peace talks. They promised to come unarmed. The enemy force came unarmed, apparently, while the Macedonians secretly brought rope, and the group was arrested under Philip's orders. Still, Philip saw some hard fighting during this punitive campaign. In one of the battles, fighting became incredibly intense, and Philip was wounded seriously. He had taken a hard blow that broke his collarbone, and he had fallen off his horse. Philip only survived due to one of his bodyguards fighting ferociously to save the king's life. And it cost him his own. The bodyguard that died was named Pausanias. And try to remember this story here. It will come back full circle down the line in our narrative. The king was taken to safety, and the Macedonians won the battle after a fierce struggle. The overall campaign against the Illyrians ended with total success for Philip, who now dominated a large part of Illyria and came close to having access to the Adriatic Sea. And more importantly, access to more mines to increase that sweet state revenue. Philip then returned home in 344 to nurse his injury and convalesce. Philip, since the start of his reign, had fought on the front lines, and this inspired many of his soldiers to fight hard. 
but the risk of dying in battle was always a real possibility. Philip had lost an eye back in 354 during the Siege of Methone, and had now broken his collarbone. At least during this campaign with the Illyrians, Philip had an heir who could inherit his throne. But Alexander was still young and would be forced into a regency. It took several months for Philip to heal up, but once he was ready for action, Philip went to Thessaly as he had some issues to deal with. There was constant jockeying for position among the Thessalian nobles for Philip's favor, and some won and others lost. We don't know the details, but the noble family of the Aludae from the city of Larissa, the family that had called for Macedonian support during the initial stages of the Sacred War, had run afoul of Philip, and he had requested them to visit Macedonia, ostensibly to arrest them. The family had been tipped off to Philip's plan, and so did not come. Philip was in control of the Thessalian League, but his influence had to be more circumspect. He could not rule outright as he did in Macedonia. Then, in 342, Philip split the Thessalian League into four regions ruled by a tetrarch. Overall, Philip ruled with a light hand and left the day-to-day matters in the hands of capable locals. Many of the nobles that did not win Philip's favor left Thessaly, and many went into the Persian Empire and would fight against Alexander during his invasion. Philip had also decided it was now time to dethrone the king of Epirus and place his brother-in-law, Alexander, on the throne. It was a bloodless coup. Philip's overwhelming might and his ability to produce a replacement king of the same family was enough to avoid violence. The king of Epirus, Erebus, went into exile and was welcomed by Athens, where I'm sure Demosthenes had a field day with this news and probably launched into another anti-Macedonian speech filled with, if this is how he treats his allies, will we fare any better? You know, typical rhetoric. After placing Alexander on the throne of Epirus, Philip continued on and attacked Greek settlements past Epirus near the Ambracian Gulf. The reason for this attack was to strengthen Epirus and take control of the maritime trade in the region, which would enrich Epirus. And I'm sure Macedonia would get a nice kickback every year. Like Thessaly, Epirus was technically an independent state, but it bordered Macedonia and would always be the junior in the relationship. Then, in 342, it's at this point Philip turned his attention back to Thrace and would be involved in the region for three years, which ended Alexander's education under Aristotle and brought him back to Pella to act as a regent in his father's stead. We get more information on Philip's movements once again in 341, as Demosthenes relays to us that Philip had been fighting in Thrace for 11 months at this point. Another Thracian king had gotten a bit uppity, so Philip decided that nominal influence was not enough, but to annex the territory instead. Philip claimed that he was acting as protector of the other Greek cities in the area, but it's quite a thin excuse. Philip was actively engaging in territorial expansion, and I'm not sure why he felt the need to explain himself. Philip's forces in Thrace were not the standard phalanx or Macedonian phalanx. Philip opted for more of a mobile strike force, using cavalry, archers, peltasts, and mercenary forces. 
I can't remember if I explained what a Peltas was, and if I have, bear with me for a moment as I do for the people who may have forgotten. A Peltas is a light infantry soldier. They use ranged weapons like rocks, think of the battle between David and Goliath, or javelins, and they had light shields made out of wicker with an animal skin covering it. Philip wasn't engaging in typical set-piece battles. They were more akin to large skirmishes. The territory that he fought in was rocky and mountainous, or in dense forests, environments more suitable for ambushes. The enemies Philip fought against used the same kind of tactics, and Philip would look to strike from behind or the side. So to counter this, Philip began using hunting dogs to find his enemies. This kind of fighting can take a long time, which can explain Philip's absence for three years. Whenever Philip could, he used diplomacy instead of force and married another wife named Maida to make peace with an enemy tribe. Once again, Athens began to get anxious about Philip's activity in Thrace, and Demosthenes, once again, began speaking out against Philip. This dude just never gets tired of being a hater. The peace of Philocrates was already fraying at the edges. More political maneuverings began to occur in Athens, and Demosthenes and his friend Timarchus charged Aeschines, one of the ten orators that had spoken at Pella. They accused him of bribery, claiming that he had taken money from Philip. This was a bit of clever politics on Demosthenes' part. It discredited a rival of his, made Philip look like the peace that he had made with Athens was built on deception, and there may have been a point there. Happy with just throwing Aeschines' name in the mud, they did not take the matter to court. But Aeschines was not going to take this lying down. Aeschines retaliated by charging Demosthenes' ally, Timarchus, charging him with gross immorality, claiming that he was involved in prostitution and pimping. Timarchus was found guilty, and they stripped him of his citizenship. Practically, this meant he was not forced to leave Athens, but his political career was over. Only male citizens could partake in Athenian politics. Demosthenes also had Philocrates charged with betraying the city, and instead of fighting it out in court, Philocrates went into voluntary exile. Demosthenes, in retaliation for Timarchus' charges, once again charged Aeschines, and this time it was taken to court. Aeschines beat the allegations, but it was closed, and he was acquitted with a margin of 30 votes out of 1,500. I know this is a bit of a radical segue, but I'm telling you this to set the mood in Athens. All of these political attacks were due to the stances they held over Macedonia. There were pro-Macedonian and anti-Macedonian factions, and they were battling it out in Athens and the winners would decide Athenian politics and Athenian relationships with Macedon. And it seemed that the anti-Macedonian faction was winning. Demosthenes began priming Athens for war with Macedonia, claiming that if Philip was willing to endure all the hardships he had in Thrace for small prizes, how was he not willing to rob Athens of their ports and their silver mines? This is not to say that Philip was not doing anything the Athenians could view as provocative, Philip's expansion in Thrace was always a cause for concern, as the Athenians wanted to keep their grain supply from the Black Sea region intact. 
And the island of Euboea, which had just seized independence from Athens only a few years ago, was now being aided by paid mercenaries by Philip. And while he did not send his actual army, Macedonian commanders did lead the mercenary forces, and we know they were under overall command with Parmenio. While Macedonia had not aided in the initial revolt, they now involved themselves in the factional disputes, aiding certain sides and helping them establish power. Philip was courting favor from the local leaders, and the relationship with Macedonia would be a deterrent from Athenian attempts to reconquer the island. Once again, the biggest issue Athens had with Macedonia was that they felt inferior. For lack of a better term here, Demosthenes and the pro-war faction want to make Athens great again. Another leader from Euboea attempted to get support from Philip, but it was not forthcoming, so they turned towards the Athenians, who happily complied. This would turn into local factions once again coming into conflict, as Macedonian and Athenian-backed factions duked out for control. Despite all this, Philip's attention was not affixed to southern Greece. Philip was happy to help when it suited him, but otherwise, he left them alone. He was content to continue his efforts in Thrace and Illyria. Philip was aware of the tensions building up in Athens, and Athens was not circumspect in the matter either. It seemed war between the two powers was not a question of if, but rather when. Athens was once again seeking allies for a coalition stand against Macedonia, and they were not quiet about it. In 343, an orator from the city of Byzantium named Python came to Athens on Philip's behalf to address his critics. Python stated that Philip had done nothing that was in violation of the treaty that they had brokered, and if there were amendments that Athens wanted to have, he was willing to hear them out. This did not work in the long term, as the Athenians sent an embassy to Macedonia to iron out the details, but among them, was an anti-Macedonian politician who brought up ancient claims like wanting Amphipolis and the other cities that Philip had taken. In 342, Philip agreed to outside arbitration on the matters of Amphipolis, Cardia, and an island called Halernissus, which had broken away from Athens a few decades ago. Halernissus had ended up in Philip's hands, and Philip had attempted to give the islands back to Athens, but they declined. The reasoning being that Philip had not said he was giving them back something that already belonged to them. I hope I've done a good job explaining the level of Athenian pride being quite sensitive, but this is on another level to me. Athens continued to poke the bear by sending a force to Cardia, which prompted Philip to send troops to the city to reinforce it. The leader of this force, a man named Diopathes, captured a Macedonian envoy and sent him back to Athens, and the content of the letter was read aloud. Diopathes began to raid the Thracian coastline, which made Philip send another ambassador to Athens to complain. Athens took the ambassador prisoner and tortured him, before finally ransoming him back to Macedonia. Back on the island of Euboea, the withdrawal of the Macedonian mercenaries meant that the Athenian-backed leaders took control and they began to raid the coast of Pagasi, one of the port cities in Thessaly. Athens was escalating things to the point where Philip would soon no longer be able to ignore them. 
The Athenians even went to Persia to find allies, but the Persians were not interested in aiding them militarily, but gave them plenty of encouragement and money. Philip's conquest in Thrace had brought him close to the Hellespont, where two large Greek cities were located, Perinthus and Byzantium. And while they had been allies in the past, now that Philip was on their doorstep, they were not as keen as when they had a buffer state. This is the same scenario that led to the destruction of the Chalcidian League. Then, in 341, Demosthenes visited the city of Byzantium and reported back to Athens that there was a fear of Macedonia in the city. Not long after Demosthenes' visit, the cities of Byzantium and Perithes declared that they were against Macedonia, backed by the guarantees of Athenian aid. In response, in 340, Philip would lead a siege against the cities of Perinthus. We'll leave it there for now, with Philip on the march to siege the city of Perinthus. Like always, if you like what you heard, give the podcast five stars in review. I'll have maps on Instagram, so you can see that at pinpoint underscore history. And you can email me at thepinpointhistory at gmail.com with any questions you may have. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, let's get it.